This version of the Room Now podcast is dedicated to highlights from ULAR 2022. Herein, you will hear reports and perspectives from the Room Now faculty and key opinion leaders in rheumatology. Enjoy. Hi, my name is Jeff Sparks uh, from Boston, Massachusetts, rheumatologist here at uh, ULAR with Room Now. Um, just got finished listening to the 2022 update, updated recommendations for ULAR for the management of rheumatoid arthritis uh, presented by Dr. Joseph Smolin. So uh, this is interesting because they really outlined very clearly what, what they changed since the last time this was done and also lined up uh, what changed against the uh, recently published 2021 ACR guidelines of which I was part of. Uh, in particular, they went into detail about um, whether or not short-term glucocorticoids should be used um, as in, in early RA. This was something that was very controversial and different about the different recommendations between ACR and ULAR. Um, as background, in ACR, we really wanted to talk about um, making glucocorticoids not the default. The, I think it, within all of rheumatology, people have... Um, there's, there's, less reluct there's more reluctance to want to use glucocorticoids in lower doses and shorter durations, and we felt that that should also be um, part of the RA landscape, whereas before you would start it on almost everyone, and now it should be the exception rather than the rule. Um, so they really talked at length about how, um, what the definition of short-term was, that tapering should also include tapering off, um, and I think their framework is a bit different because they're not really going all in and all out about whether it should or should not be started, but really going in and saying it, it should be considered, saying that it would be reasonable to do so and it would be reasonable not to do so. Some of the data that supported their recommendations were outlined fairly clearly, but to me, everyone who ends up being a long-term user has to start as a short-term user. Uh, for me, I want it to, to be an option for patients, but I don't want it to be the default. Um, other big differences were related to line of therapy, in particular, how JAK inhibitors should be used or not used um, after um, methotrexate inadequate response. Uh, and again, uh, you know, the, the big issue there was the oral surveillance data. They also went over some of the other observational data, some of the trial data related to uh, interleukin-6 inhibitors. Uh, and again, with a lot of asterisks and caveats, they said it could be considered. Um, whereas, you know, certainly this was before the ACR recommendations were on, um, so that was not necessarily broached or an agreement, but to me, oral surveillance was fairly definitive, saying that, um, you know, they're, they're, the non-inferiority non margin was not reached, so uh, TNF inhibitors should be the first-line treatment unless there's really extenuating circumstances. Um, so overall, this is really the first sort of uh, new scientific data that's been presented. Uh, the, the actual abstract sessions will be starting later this afternoon, and I'll be looking forward to giving you more updates about some of the uh, original science that will, will be there, and hope that you tune in to Room Now. Thanks. My name's Peter Nash. I'm a professor of rheumatology, School of Medicine, Griffith University, beautiful downtown Brisbane in Australia, reporting on, for Room Now from ULA uh, Copenhagen 2022. Yesterday was the recommendations day. I was involved in the task force for updating the recommendations for rheumatoid arthritis for ULA and uh, I'll summarise a very, very nice presentation by Joseph Smolin 
they started off with the usual conventional synthetic demands. The controversial area was the recommendation to continue low-dose prednisone as a recommendation in, in brackets short-lived. This is in variance with the ACR, which purposely left that off. And I must say, I didn't agree with it and I voted against it because, or at least I abstained, because it's not about the, the, the problem is getting people off those last few milligrams of prednisone. And once they've got the bottle in the hand, they then self-medicate and it's a major issue. So even though the recommendation is short-lived, if you look into some of the studies, something like 20 to 38% are long-term low dose and that's not good for people. So what really changed, they, he showed some evidence that methotrexate plus glucocorticoids is not inferior to methotrexate with a biologic DMARD. Uh, recommendation nine, the alteration is that you could, you, you could commence a biologic when conventional synthetics failed, which is quite reasonable, but then they said, or a JAK inhibitor, but the change was you can consider a JAK inhibitor, but you have to take risk factors into account. And they listed the risk factors, over 65 smokers, a cardiovascular risk factors, malignancy risk factors, and thromboembolic disease risk factors. So on they went and they talked about the five overarching principles. The recommendation six to 12 didn't change. He talked about combination, conventional synthetic DMARDs plus uh, your biologic, and again, non-evidence-based uh, switching and, non, and really non-evidence-based tapering, all important, steroids first, of course. So there were some changes, but in essence, the change to the jack and the continuing recommendation for the low-dose prednisone were the major things in the uh, updated guidelines. Back to Jack, back to room now, more presentations to follow. Hello from ULAR 2022. Uh, this is Eric Dine checking in from New Jersey, tuning in virtually for the conference. Uh, it's been a great first day of the conference, and I'm going to talk about the, um, the 2022 updates to the ULAR recommendations for rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, this was last updated in 2019. So there were really two main questions that they wanted to address in these recommendations. Firstly, the role of glucocorticoids in uh, initiation of treatment. Uh, and secondly, JAK inhibitors and where, where things stand uh, with recommending JAKs with the new oral surveillance data. So starting with glucocorticoids, this was something that was previously recommended to have a consideration of short-term glucocorticoids uh, when initiating or changing conventional synthetic DMARDs. Uh, with a tapering regimen. But since then, in 2021, the ACR came up with their guidelines and they recommended uh, against using glucose corticoids because they have toxicity, they're hard to taper off of, all, all the issues that we know uh, our, our patients end up on, on these therapies and sometimes have difficulty getting off. Um, so what did they decide to do? Did they decide to, to go with the ACR or, or stick to their recommendations from 2019? And they, they work to try to come to the middle. They still recommend using glucocorticoids, uh, but they do recommend tapering it and discontinuing. Uh, they added those words in as rapidly as clinically feasibly. Uh, so uh, the goal is um, if a patient uh, needs it to give steroids, but they do uh, emphasize the quick taper uh, as quickly as possible and to come off of the, medic the medication altogether. 
Next for JAK inhibitors, they had previously had biologic DMARDs and targeted synthetic uh, DMARDs on equal footing, but now with the oral surveillance data, would they amend that? Uh, and they showed a, a whole number of different ways that they uh, tried to come to a consensus, but it seems like the panel was um, uh, having all different opinions as to where we treat the JAK inhibitors. Uh, so currently it, it shows that biologic DMARDs are preferred in the in the current guidelines, uh, but JAK inhibitor, quote, may be considered, but pertinent risk factors must be taken into account, end quote. So what, what they're showing here, uh, really for both of these is, I think the, the limitation is, is the limitations of all guidelines, that how do we make a widespread recommendation when the ultimate plan is to target the therapy to your patient. So for steroids, I like to avoid starting patients on steroids whenever possible. Um, but if functionally they need steroids to help um, because they're disabled, because they're not able to work, because they can't care for themselves or their quality of life is, uh, you need to use the, the lowest dose steroids that they need and, and come off of it as quickly. But it's, a, it's an individualized decision. Uh, and same thing with, with JAK inhibitors. Um, you need to consider the, the benefits of JAK inhibitors, you know, if they're needle phobic, if they have other reasons why um, a JAK might work best for them. Uh, but as well as taking into their, their risk factors. And so um, for both of these guidelines, it's, it's trying to come into the middle when we're seeing that there's um, a complex decision of taking your patient into account and having conversations with them about their preferences. So um, I think these are um, you know, subtle but very meaningful changes that, that were reflected in these updates from 2019. Uh, lots more to come. Throughout the rest of this conference, check into Room Now for lots more information. Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Janet Pope from At Room Now, and my Twitter handle is at Janet Burdope. I'm coming to you live from ULAR 2022 in the cold and rainy but beautiful city of Copenhagen. I want to talk about the ULAR RA guidelines. Is it more of the same? So um, on the first day of the meeting, the updated 2022 rheumatoid arthritis ULAR guidelines were presented. I do have a disclosure. I was part of the guidelines, so maybe a bit of insider information that you might want to ask me about. However, nothing too earth shattering. So first of all, are they more of the same? Um, they were different from the ACR in past saying that initially you should do combination therapy, looking at methotrexate plus glucocorticoids and tapering down. So the ACR said, don't use glucocorticoids. So that needed to be resolved. So with a systematic review, it was found that um, a rapid taper of glucocorticoids, whether you're starting high or medium dose with a rapid taper does seem to affect the outcomes of better remission, um, earlier deep response, things like that. So the guidelines have been um, updated or tweaked a bit saying maybe use with caution glucocorticoids, but try to use the, the amount of time that is the least to get the patient off of treatment. The other thing is they talked about tapering. So the ACR guidelines had talked about, hey, if a drug doesn't work, don't taper the drug that does the advanced therapy. Don't taper drugs, but if you must consider tapering, not necessarily discontinuing the uh, drug that didn't work, such as the background CSD MARD. So again, ULAR did a literature search and did find randomized controlled trials that basically said the rate of flaring is about the same, like 
the Tamara study, whether you taper conventional synthetic DMARDs or the bio or uh, DMARDs. Now we don't have tapering data with targeted synthetic DMARDs. By that, I mean JAK inhibitors, but they kind of put it all in one sort of stroke instead. If between the patient and the physician, you consider tapering when a patient is in deep sustained remission and you've gotten rid of glucocorticoids and maybe NSAIDs, then with caution, you might want to decrease the CSD MARD or the advanced therapy. And either way, you have to follow the patient carefully. Then the final thing of the ULAR guidelines that is different from before is taking into account both oral surveillance that looked at cardiovascular risk, VTE as a, um, an exploratory outcome, serious infection in older age group, but also looking at MACE and malignancy. And so there is a cautionary note saying that if you're going to use a JAK inhibitor, obviously it should be a shared decision with patients, but also you want to uh, cat categorize and inform the patient um, of high CV risk, high VTE, high malignancy, and in the older their age group, slightly higher um, uh, serious infections, but that this still could be appropriate for patients and shared decision-making. So ULAR updated guidelines, are they more of the same? I think mostly the same treating to a target, shared decision-making, but a few things that are important that have changed. So follow us at Room Now, and I hope that you're going to learn lots from the ULAR Congress here in Copenhagen. Thank you. Hello, this is Jonathan Kay reporting virtually from Massachusetts on day one of ULAR 2022, which is being held in Copenhagen. This is a very successful meeting, again, with over 9,000 participants attending and enjoying unusually sunny weather in Copenhagen. At the ULAR recommendations session, uh, Joseph Smolin presented the 2022 update of the ULAR recommendations on the management of rheumatoid arthritis. And in the rheumatoid arthritis abstract session, there were a number of interesting presentations, including one about increased mortality risk in patients with incident rheumatoid arthritis and depression in a large cohort with 10 years of follow-up, and another about the discordance between DAS-28 ESR and powered Doppler ultrasound during treatment of patients with early rheumatoid arthritis. Joseph Smolin reviewed the brand new 2022 update of the ULAR recommendations on the management of rheumatoid arthritis. These recommendations include two major changes from the 2019 ULAR recommendations, one being a recommendation to consider short-term glucocorticoids when initiating or changing conventional synthetic DMARDs, and the other being a change in the patient population for which JAK inhibitors should be considered. The most recent American College of Rheumatology treatment guidelines for rheumatoid arthritis indicated that conventional synthetic DMARDs should be initiated without either short-term or longer-term glucocorticoids uh, because of the potential toxicity of glucocorticoids. The data supporting the recommendation to not initiate glucocorticoids for the short-term, less than three months, was very low, and this was a conditional recommendation, and the data regarding longer-term glucocorticoid therapy was supported by only moderate data and was a strong recommendation. The ULAR Guidelines Development Group, which was multinational, including representatives from both North and South America, Asia, 
Australia and Africa, in addition to European members, recommended that short-term glucocorticoids be used when initiating or changing conventional synthetic DMARDs, but they be tapered and discontinued as rapidly as possible because of the increased cardiovascular risk with longer-term glucocorticoid therapy. They based this recommendation on data from the North Star study, which showed that treatment with methotrexate and glucocorticoids was non-inferior to treatment with methotrexate and each of three different biologic agents. The other recommendation uh, was based upon the oral surveillance study, which identified an increased incidence of major adverse cardiovascular events and malignancies with JAK inhibitor therapy, tofacitinib, compared to TNF inhibitor therapy, adalimumab or etanercept. Although this increase was not significant, uh, the JAK inhibitor was non-inferior was not non-inferior to TNF inhibitor therapy in terms of incidence of major adverse cardiovascular events or malignancies. This prompted the United States Food and Drug Administration to change the label for JAK inhibitors so that JAK inhibitors can now be prescribed only for patients who have already been treated and failed treatment with a TNF inhibitor. The ULAR group changed the recommendation by indicating that JAK inhibitors should be considered for use in patients with poor prognostic factors without risk factors for major adverse cardiovascular events or malignancies. They still positioned JAK inhibitors along with biologic DMARDs for use after the failure of the first conventional synthetic DMARD in patients with poor prognostic factors, but added this caveat. They also combined two recommendations regarding tapering of medications to one recommendation which reads that after glucocorticoids have been discontinued and a patient is in sustained remission, dose reduction of DMARDs may be considered. And this includes not only conventional synthetic DMARDs, but also biologic or targeted synthetic DMARDs. There was a very interesting oral presentation by Jens Peterson from the Department of Medicine at Odens University Hospital in Denmark. Uh, oral presentation OP0067, which found an increased mortality risk in patients with incident rheumatoid arthritis and depression in the DanBio registry. These investigators looked at over 11,000 patients with incident rheumatoid arthritis, not previously on antidepressants, who were enrolled in the DanBio registry, and they combined the DanBio registry with the Danish National Prescription Register and several other registries uh, to use the first filling of antidepressants as a surrogate for the diagnosis of depression. They found in patients with rheumatoid arthritis younger than 55 years, there was an adjusted mortality risk of 6.66 uh, with antidepressant exposure compared to no antidepressant exposure. In older patients with rheumatoid arthritis, this mortality risk was increased about threefold uh, and was slightly higher among those with seropositivity compared to those who were seronegative. They concluded that the diagnosis of depression uh, defined as first filling of antidepressants, was associated with a greater mortality risk in patients with incident rheumatoid arthritis. However, 
using filling of antidepressants is problematic since antidepressants are prescribed to patients to treat chronic pain. Patients with active rheumatoid arthritis experience pain and might be prescribed an antidepressant for pain management. And patients with active rheumatoid arthritis have increased cardiovascular and malignancy associated mortality risk. However, these investigators performed several other analyses, one of which used the ICD-11 code for depression instead of antidepressant prescription uh, as a measure of depression and found similar findings of increased mortality risk in patients with rheumatoid arthritis and depression. The other abstract that I will discuss, OP0082, was presented by Rudresh Shukla from the University of Manchester in the United Kingdom, uh, who looked at the discordance between DAS28 ESR and the presence of ultrasound-powered Doppler synovitis during treatment for early rheumatoid arthritis. Now, it's known that about 25% of patients with active rheumatoid arthritis by CDI have discordance between the ESR and CRP. And it's also known that about a quarter to a third of patients who are considered to be in clinical remission have powered Doppler ultrasound signal detectable. Conversely, in some patients with active rheumatoid arthritis, powered Doppler signal is absent. So these investigators sought to look to see whether there is a concordance or discordance between the presence or absence of powered Doppler signal in patients with active rheumatoid arthritis defined by DAS28 ESR, and to identify clinical factors associated with the development of discordance following treatment in 120 patients, all of whom had active disease. They found that in these patients with active rheumatoid arthritis, two-thirds of them had concordance between DAS28 ESR and powered Doppler ultrasound evidence of disease activity, and a third were discordant between the two. The DAS28 ESR and individual components of the DAS28 ESR were higher in the patients who had concordance between DAS28 ESR and power Doppler ultrasound compared to those who were discordant with respect to those two measures of disease activity. The presence of higher CRP at baseline was more likely to be associated with concordance than with discordance in patients with active disease, and also was more likely to be associated with active disease and concordance than with remission and concordance. Treatment at baseline uh, with etanercept and methotrexate favored the development of remission with concordance between the ESR the DAS28 ESR and power Doppler ultrasound compared to active disease and concordance at both weeks 12 and 24. So in conclusion, this group identified patients with both concordance and discordance between the disease activity measure, uh, the DAS28 ESR and power Doppler ultrasound as an imaging measure of disease activity. Uh, they found that patients uh, who had active disease and concordance between these measures at baseline progressed to discordance early on with treatment in about a third of patients, and also found 
that early treatment with etanercept and methotrexate increased the probability of clinical and imaging remission as early as week 12 and continuing on to week 24. Understanding the underlying biologic basis for these phenotypes will be important to design optimal treatment and management strategies. So I've talked about three presentations, uh, the presentation of the 2022 update of the ULAR management guidelines for rheumatoid arthritis, an interesting study in the DanBio register, which identified an increased mortality risk in patients with rheumatoid arthritis and depression, and then another study which showed a discordance between the DAS-28 ESR and power Doppler ultrasound, uh, indicating that one needs to measure perhaps both of these to get a better picture of disease activity. There were other interesting presentations about which I don't have time to discuss now, but for more information about these and other studies presented at ULAR 2022, go to roomnow.com. I'm Jonathan Kay, and I look forward to seeing you tomorrow.